Happy New Year. Welcome to the Northern Business Podcast. Each week throughout 2024, we'll be talking to people active in business and the economy about the big issues driving growth in the north of England. We're sponsored by Virtue Motors, one of the UK's largest motor retailers. You can check out its website at virtuemotors.com. I'm Graham Robb, owner of Recognition PR. Now, we help scores of businesses to promote their products and services. Some are featured on this podcast. Make sure you don't miss an episode by subscribing on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. In the studio today, we have Graham Salt, retail expert, chair of Durham Business Group, and also founder of Canny Insights. And later, my colleague, Joss Haverkin, will be speaking to entrepreneur Mike Ratz and Carl Pemberton, managing director of Active Chartered Financial Planners, between them they've decided to get an articulated truck and take aid to Ukraine. So more about that at the end of today's podcast. Welcome to Graham. Hi, Graham. Italian says Graham versus Graham. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, uh, it's a great time to talk retail because we just had the Christmas rush. Yeah. And we've also got the January sales. Yep. So lots to talk about because you're a retail specialist. I did a poll in the office. Um, out of 10 people, seven had retail cards, gift cards to spend in the shops. And um, I, I noticed that when we look at the research, that retail in the month of December and November was pretty good. The data was, was up. Uh, if I just look at the, the note I've got, November 23, according to the government, uh, retail sales were 10.2 billion per week, up from 9 billion in October. Money spent in shops, supermarkets, petrol stations, and online. What What's your take on the state of retail as we go into the new year? Yeah, um, I think given all the challenges that everyone is facing, both at the business side and in terms of consumers having uh, stretched finances, I think it's, it's remarkable uh, how robust a lot of, of retailers are, are proving to be. And that is really encouraging. Um, and we've seen, I think, today that... Uh, Audi and Lidl are reporting record sales over Christmas, and and hopefully we'll see more updates in the coming week for businesses that have done really well. Now there was a, a feature in several papers over the weekend about M&S. There's one from the Sunday Times: the Norman Conquest M&S back in fashion. Archie Norman being the chairman of M&S. Um, M&S uh, is a very long-standing retail brand in this country. I found myself there at lunchtime. Mm. Um, Tell me, why do you think M&S is bouncing back? Well, it's taken a long time, hasn't it? It feels like over the last 20 years, every every time there's been some kind of improvement in food, it's been offset by a decline in clothing. And it seems like finally M&S has got everything right uh, in terms of growing its sales in both its core uh, areas. And I think um, uh, a part of that is down to uh, some really good leadership. And so Stuart Machin, who is in charge now, is uh, uh, it's really good at, at seeming to understand what the customers want and and improving and and renewing the business in a way that maybe hasn't happened before. And the, and the challenge of MS, of course, is to uh, it's to win over new customers at the same time as not losing those who have supported it all along. Mm. And and by and large, they seem to be doing that quite well. In the town I live, uh, the MS food outlet is adjacent to an Aldi food mm. outlet. And it's a sort of high-low kind of business park, retail park, where you can go in. And I do this myself. I go and buy toilet rolls and washing powder and things in Aldi and then uh, go and buy other products in M&S. And I was buying meat in M&S and then noticed the Aldi meat was quite cheap. And it was an interesting contrast of shoppers that are not willing to be as segmented as they once were. 
Absolutely. People have, have stopped doing a weekly shop at one big retailer and they're quite happy to kind of uh, be like a magpie and pick out bits of different places. And I suppose where Audi and M&S are, are both succeeding is that in different ways, they, they both offer really good quality and really good value. Now, just looking at the general economy, I'm just going to cast a couple of positives into the arena and tell me if you think these positives are potentially going to impact on retail mm. and help it lift or if they're sort of a little bit uh, a little bit tangential long-term interest rates are starting to settle down most of the newspapers at the beginning of the new year have said that you can now get a, a two-year mortgage at nearly one percent less than just a few weeks ago um the from this weekend national insurance cuts for everyone who is in work and pays national insurance uh, apply uh, that's around 450 pounds per person per year or 40 could a week uh, a month um and inflation has come down to under four percent now are those things tangible that they, they, will they think feed through if you add them all up into uh retail in this country yes i suppose ultimately it stands to reason that if consumers are feeling like they've got a bit more money in their pockets uh, it is going to filter through into spending um and the challenge over the last year has been that everything has almost aligned in a, a in a way that has made people feel like they haven't got spare cash to spend. So any any signs of improvement are going to be welcome as far as as retail spending is concerned. And also, of course, if uh, if interest rates are lower uh, and inflation is uh, is lower but still high, uh, it's better for businesses too. Because because uh, at the moment, one of the big challenges that lots of businesses face, particularly in hospitality, actually, is the whole uh, cost of business. And and plenty of hospitality businesses are are doing as well as they possibly can in terms of bums on seats, but just the costs of of, of paying staff and buying everything is uh, is so prohibitive in many cases. Now, when it comes to retail, we, 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 we just read out the data from the government about how much was spent in retail and so on, but retail is so fragmented now. Um, I went into a high street during the Christmas holiday between Christmas and New Year, North Allerton, mm. absolutely packed. Mm. I drove through another high street and it was almost deserted. Mm. There, there seems to be uh, sets of towns that have got it right and some towns that it just hasn't happened for. Yeah, and, and sometimes it, it is down to the demographic and the spend in the locality, of course. There are some places that inherently are serving poorer communities and haven't got the ability to attract the kind of upmarket names that you might see mm. in Othalaton. But I think it, it does come down to offering the right things uh, uh, in your community, in your locality, and and there are plenty of of, of maybe kind of more down at heel towns, you might say, that still have a fantastic independent offer in that they offer uh, shops and services that are are really appreciated by those who live and work there. Now, the real reason I wanted you to come on the program today, as well as to talk about uh, the retail of the last couple of weeks, was your very unique research into the shop Woolworths. Yes. Now, most people watching and listening to this podcast will remember Woolworths. But actually, for, for people who are maybe younger, Woolworths closed 15 years ago. I couldn't believe it when yeah. I read your research. Yeah, it's 15 years ago on Saturday. Right. Now, you've been doing an exercise of, yes. uh, following the progress of the sites that Woolworths once occupied. Uh, sum, summarise what, what brought you into doing that exercise and what, what you found. 
But yeah, um, I've been tracking all 807 locations over the last 15 years to see what they are now and to see what intervening uses have been there as well. And I suppose um, if people ask me, why on earth are you doing this, Graham? I guess the reason is that 15 years ago, I was out and about in high streets, I was seeing what was happening, and it felt like a big deal because Woolworths had been around for almost a century, and, and here was a retailer that employed 27,000 people, that lots of people had worked and shopped at for decades, and it was going uh, all in the space of a few weeks. And, and that was what really kind of prompted my interest in, uh, in seeing what that legacy was and what happened next. Now, the Woolworths story at the time was used to flag up the failure of the high street, the trend for internet shopping, the high business rates, the footfall decline. And it was a um, totem for a disaster in retail. Mm. But when you look at these 807 sites, what did you discover about their current use? Well, um, what is really encouraging is that most of them are still in use. And so I think uh, uh, only 74 of those sites are fully are fully vacant, which is it's about 9%, which is lower than the vacancy rate generally across the country. And what is really interesting is that actually of those that are, are occupied, still the vast majority are in retail use. So it, uh, it shows that actually if, although Woolworths clearly had many kind of flaws, one of the flaws that it didn't have with its locations because because all these new occupants have come and, uh, uh, and mopped them up. Now, for our viewers, our listeners, we're showing a, a little bit of a, a few photographs of you visiting some of these sites. Oh, yeah. And you've got shops like Poundland, Iceland, factory shops. Um, one of the distinguishing characteristics from the photographs you supplied was that many of them are British-owned uh, um, retailers that have entered the retail market comparatively recently. Yeah, absolutely, because it's 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 easy to forget that 15 years ago, a B&M, for example, was still a, a really small retailer. No one has heard of it particularly at the point where it began mopping up lots of Woolworths sites. And certainly Poundland and, uh, and Iceland and Wilco used the, the demise of Woolworths to grow their own estates and become more prominent. So, so it is it is a really... Uh, interesting way of looking at at uh, who has been the kind of big uh, uh, stories of growth over the last 15 years. One of the other things that, uh, from my life, I'm coming up to 60 now, and Woolworths was always a, a staple. It was in every high street of every town I lived in. But it was always, in the 1960s, 70s and 80s, occupying prime locations. Mm. And it, it appears today that those former sites are no longer the prime locations. It's not as it's not that Woolworths itself moved, but the towns and the locations changed as well. Yeah, uh, it's a good point. Um, uh, over its 99-year history, Woolworths often moved locations as well. So every time a, a new shopping centre was built in a city centre, uh, it would move with it and, and move around to find the best spots. But you're right. I think some of the uh, some of the a site that Woolworths had, you know, weren't as prime as they once were. And what we're seeing uh, uh, in my stats now is that is that more and more uh, independents are being able to take over some of the Woolworths sites, uh, partly because independents on the high street are growing anyway, but also because some of these sites uh, have become more affordable comparative to where they were before. The Yes, exactly. So, so if a site now is not prime, does the does that affect its business rating and should it? Yes, well, uh, certainly when business rates were revalued last April, uh, uh, quite a lot of 
uh, of retail sites, certainly in the Northeast, uh, had the uh, uh, had the amount of rateable value reduced. So it means that the rates were now less. So that, of course, is a positive thing. I think there's a whole debate to be had around whether business rates are the right way yeah. of of billing people, but certainly if business rates are less, it makes it much more likely that a store will stay or invest in the high street. Now, I was telling you at the beginning of the interview about the number of my staff that had gift cards for Christmas, yeah. retail gift cards. Yeah. So I, I just a simple dipstick survey of 10, 10 of my staff, seven had retail cards, and of the seven, half of them were only online. That oh. was quite interesting, and mm. where the retail cards. So, um, Again, going to the rates situation, there has been an attempt by the government to look at that, but it hasn't really come off. It hasn't really met the aspirations of, of bricks and mortar retailers, has it? No, I suppose not. I think I think a lot of bricks and mortar retailers will tell you that actually what is needed is some kind of root and branch reform mm -hmm. and a solution that isn't just a sticking plaster on the fact that we have online retail now, but actually looks at retail as a whole and says, if we were thinking of a way of taxing this now, what would it look like? Um, and, and I think many people are hoping that uh, if we do have a Labour government in the future, they are promised to replace business rates. We'll have to see what uh, what idea they come up with. But but I would like to think it would be something that isn't just a uh, isn't just tweaking around the edges, but actually thinks you know how can we make this uh, really fit for purpose? Right. Now going back to the Woolworths research. Um, you 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 pointed out that a very small number are fully vacant, but yeah. there was quite a lot of churn in these retail That's sites, right. wasn't there? Yeah. So retailers don't they're not necessarily as rooted and certain over the fifteen years you've surveyed them as maybe they had been in the past. Absolutely, as uh, as Woolworths in some cases have had been trading in the same location for like ninety years, or or in many cases half a century. And what we're seeing now is that actually it's it's surprising how many of the of the occupants now are the same ones who moved in uh, after Woolworths demise. It's just under half. But actually, uh, what what we also see is that retailers like Poundland, B and M, aren't scared to move around. And so what we're seeing in many cases is that. Uh, Poundland, for example, is mopping up some of the former uh, M&Co and Wilco sites mm -hmm. and is relocating sometimes from sites it took over from Woolworths because it's looking for bigger locations where it can showcase uh, its wider range and the clothing offer that it has now. So so I think um, all those days of, of very long, very expensive leases that Woolworths had lots of are long gone and Poundland and B&M and the others are doing much better at cutting really good deals where they have the flexibility to to move around if they want to. Now, let's address uh, two sort of diversion issues. Um, across the north of England, a lot of these towns deals have happened, mm. towns fund, uh, government through levelling up and so on, there's towns funds to try and enliven town centres. Yet in some areas, um, think in big cities like Manchester, uh, where they've got out of town at uh, a traffic centre, or even Teesside, where the mayor is allowing Teesside Park to redevelop with own new station and extra car parking and more works on the the um, on the the traffic uh, systems. The, 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 they're not necessarily in conflict, but they do have um, they do have they're sharing sharing the same pounds spent in the shop, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely, and and certainly as you know, I do lots of work in Durham, and 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 certainly for Durham City Centre, one of the big challenges isn't so much kind of online retail as, as the giant retail park on the edge of town, but it's no good, 
it's no good worrying about that too much because we can't change it now. It's there. Um, and so what, as so what places like Durham are doing are thinking, okay, you know, how can we give consumers and give visitors an experience they can't get at the Honorson Center? And you can do your shopping at the Honorson Center and, the, and it's free parking, it's very convenient and easy, but it doesn't have any soul. It doesn't have any character. Mm-hmm. It doesn't stimulate the senses. And that's where real town centers and real places can really capitalize. Do you think that that message is now ingrained into public policy in lots of local authorities, or is it given lip service? It's 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 one of those things that looks good on a politician's social media site to support the sound centre, but when it comes to actually doing it, sometimes cash money needs to be spent on public realm, uh, cash money needs to be spent on parking, maybe freeing up cost of parking where parking seems a tax. Is, is it, in your experience something that's real and happening yes i think they're i think to be fair to the current government they have done a lot of work around high streets and and supporting and promoting high streets um both in terms of all the capital products you've mentioned which are good but but at the same time one of the biggest gaps that i find through my work as a high streets task force expert where i've been sent to uh, towns and cities all over the country is is often you lack that kind of local leadership or capacity indeed because so many local authorities have been stripped back and stripped back they haven't got the people there to to kind of provide this leadership and this insight and this um uh, encouragement and actually uh, alongside the capital investment what you really want uh, is uh, is inspired leaders in places working together with all the partners councils businesses uh, community groups uh, all the stakeholders coming together to think about you know, how do we make uh, uh, our place better. And, and of course, Rita, I'll, I'll round, uh, sort of uh, final question, I'll round up the interview on this point. Mm. Retailers themselves can uh, take part in that, can't they? Through, if they wish, they can vote for, and in many cases have, business improvement districts. Yes. Yes. Uh, in the northeast, there's Sunderland, there's... Uh, I think there's still one in Durham, might be wrong there, but there's yep, certainly yep. one in Newcastle. That's right. Yeah. And around the north of England generally, mm. you are seeing business improvement districts, not necessarily in the big cities, but mm. Newcastle there is. But do those make a difference? I think they do. And the fact that in many cases we see them renewed after the five-year mandate, as Durham's was renewed last year for another five years, and they do play an important part uh, in providing that leadership, in being a forum where you can bring together all the key business and community interests and and doing stuff you know organizing events like adding extra cleaning and and all the stuff that is really important because i always say if we want people to get off their smartphones and off their laptops we have to make it worth their while and part of that is about making sure our town centers uh, are attractive and safe and enjoyable but graham it's always interesting having you on our podcast and it's been great talking to you and a good start to the new year uh, i think people should go out into their shops and buy in the january sales don't just click online thank you very much thank indeed. You. and now to something a little bit different uh we had a call uh, the podcast about an initiative responding to the ukrainian situation uh two very interesting businesses have decided to get on board with an initiative to send food and aid to Ukraine. My colleague Josh has been speaking to them. Let's hear what they had to say. Thank you, Graham. And um, this week I'm joined by two very well-known um, Teesside entrepreneurs. Um, hopefully I can call you that. We've got Mike Rax uh, from the Rax Group and Carl Pemberton from Active Chartered Financial Planners. How are you both doing today? Yeah, doing very well. Thank, Thank you. Thanks. Brilliant. So 
you two are heading off on a little bit of a journey in the coming weeks. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, we, we're not really going that far. It's a couple of thousand miles, uh, crossing seven countries, and we're going into into Ukraine, uh, going to Lviv um, to deliver some to deliver some aid. And Carl has offered to to join me on on this journey. So we're setting off on the fifteenth of January, in a couple of weeks' time. Right. You, well, you say it's not that much of a journey. Thousands of miles, seven countries. What what is it about? you know, the ongoing crisis, I suppose you'd call it, in Ukraine that's made you want to do this? Yeah, so I, I actually have been to Ukraine three or four times in the past. Beautiful country, amazing holiday. I absolutely loved it. And then um, obviously, well, I, I'm, I make a lot of friends in every country I go to, and uh, I had 30-odd contacts. Um, I made friends with Ukrainian people. Mm-hmm. And when the war broke out, I contacted all of them, everyone I could, and... Me and some of my friends, we got some out, uh, a, a busload of, of, of people, some few girls, we, we managed to help them. They got to Spain, uh, a few couples, they stayed at my, my parents' house and my sister's house to get them out of the country. And then uh, we were donating as a company and myself some money to, to some of these people and the charities. Now, I think a lot of people were doing this, but over the next few months, you know, there are always new conflicts and there is a bit of a fatigue. Um, it's been dragging on for two years, you know, it has started to sort of disappear from the news, but the daily struggles and the suffering of the people hasn't gone away. Now, it just happens that my partner is from Ukraine and uh, her mom is in Ukraine and she went back to Ukraine. The, 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 her husband is fighting the war, so I'm really close to it. And she was sending these fairly small parcels at, at a pretty high price and um, I wanted to help. And that's when the idea came about a couple of months ago. I thought I put together a few boxes and we sent it and it got a little bit bigger and bigger. Uh, Francis from uh, the PFC Trust really helped push my sort of boundaries. And then another friend of mine, Julian said, you should drive yourself. And then we realized that we will probably get more and more donations. So we want a big lorry. 41 ton lorry that would also set off and it's been uh pretty exciting and a bit scary to be honest um and i reached out or maybe carl i don't know if you called me or i called you uh but we had a conversation and i don't know if carl if you want to take it over from here how that conversation went with you yeah and we'd um Obviously, Mike and I have known each other for a long time, uh, good friends, and we speak quite regularly about lots of things, work and personal uh, type of things. And when I saw Mike come to, tried touching base, but we kept missing each other because it was the week before Christmas. And uh, we managed to catch up late one Friday evening, literally the Friday before Christmas. And I asked um, the simple question, well, after saying you, you're nuts and, uh, and you shouldn't do this, um, I just said, what do you need the most? Uh, do you need help? Do you need raising the profile? Do you need donations? Do you need support? Do you need company, um, et cetera? And when he said ultimately he was going on his own, um, when the question came to actually say, come with me in the van, I just instinctively said, yes, I didn't really think about it. Uh, um, sometimes the best decisions are made without too much thought at times. And, uh, you know, I, it just felt normal to to jump on the campaign and you know if i can help 
raise more money and uh, and bring more donations in and uh, obviously keep this guy company along the way, then uh, I'm more than happy to do it. Excellent. And what is it that you're filling the van up with? What is it that maybe people can do to to help you in this goal? So we're, we're obviously taking cash donations on uh, a GoFundMe page. Uh, that GoFundMe page had an initial target of about 4,800. That's now been doubled to closer to 10,000. Um, and ultimately, we're going to use all of that money to buy the aid that we need. If you don't or if people can't uh, donate cash, we do need um, staple foods. So it's the things that won't go off. Tin foods, cereals, biscuits, chocolates, rice, pastas, as well as sanitary and um, cleansing products, wipes, um, you know, shower gels and, and, and such like. And then, uh, you know, ultimately it can get up to minus 15 over there at the moment. So warm clothing, decent warm clothing, should I say, uh, whether that's shoes, socks, hats, gloves, coats, scarves, duvets, blankets, all these kind of things. It's a, that's a real big issue, duvets. I mean, nobody donates that apparently. Uh, disposable cutlery, plates, you know, there are, there are a lot of community uh, uh, kitchens. So a lot of these, a lot of this food, a majority of the food will go to uh, uh, people who cook for the masses. You know, you've got thousands of people every day and they, they need to be, they need to be fed. Uh, but yeah, I think you've pretty much covered most of it. And uh, in terms of drop off, uh, your offices, um, um, any Domino's pizza on T's side, uh, any headquarters, uh, that's the barbershops bar, we've got. We've got five of those, so you can drop it off there or at my office in Wigan Business Park. There should be some sort of description somewhere or a, or a link or QR code, something we'll learn. Well, when we share this, we'll we'll make sure that we put a link up to at least your GoFundMe page and uh, we'll tag you in as well on the, the LinkedIn post. So if anyone wants to get in touch with you, they absolutely can't now. The other bit on there, Mike, and, and Joss, that's worth um, uh, adding to the, the appeal is if anybody runs a business in this area that actually manufactures any clothing or foodstuffs within our region, um, you know, we know there's some big manufacturers out there or some big wholesalers out there that has this type of stuff. Um, you know, we gratefully appreciate donations from them. Um, obviously, it would be far more financially viable for us to even buy from them if we can, rather than going necessarily straight from a retailer because we, we can buy two, three, four times as much uh, gear or kit uh, if anybody wants to put themselves forward either as a supplier for this, some of this stuff to, for us to spend the money that ultimately we're raising on the GoFundMe page. That's a, a brilliant point, Carl. Thanks for making that. And hopefully some of the people who are watching and listening uh, will, you know, take that call in and uh, be able to help you out. Thank you, Joss. Uh, his first interview of our new year. And Josh and my colleagues at Recognition regularly do interviews on the Northern Business Podcast. And it could be you they're interviewing, or you could join me on our sofa, just like Graham has today. If you want to be a guest on the podcast, feel free to get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks to the podcast producer, Harry Sinclair, and our technical operator, Robin Campbell. Join us next time for the Northern Business Podcast. Never miss an episode. Like, rate and subscribe on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts.